Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. We continue our series in Mark here this week with the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. Mark, chapter 6, verse 14 to 29. We saw last week that Jesus was rejected at Nazareth and he sent out the twelve on a quick mission journey. And now we kind of uh, take a step back in time here and we're kind of uh, flashing back to the beheading of John the Baptist this morning. Verse 14 to 29. Now King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, it is Elijah, and others said, it is the prophet, or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John, whom I have beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John, and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers, and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison. Brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. The title of this, this morning's message is Conscience. Our scripture starts off with King Herod hearing some exciting news about Jesus of Nazareth. Now many people during this time believed in resurrections, but they had some, some false ideas about it. For example, they believed the spirit of a dead person could come back and live in another person. And that's why some people thought John the Baptist was Elijah. And it even appears as though King Herod believed this as well. Because he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. And by this confession... Herod proved that he could not forget the evil that he had done to John the Baptist. This shows that he had a conscience. 
and that conscience plagued him with guilt. Obviously, though, his desire for power was greater than his conscience. In verse 17, Mark then launches into the flashback of the events that led up to the beheading of John the Baptist. Now, as we know, John the Baptist was not a a soft-spoken kind of guy. He was very direct, and he was very rigid with his messages. He spoke out against Herod on many things, but in particular his illegal and his illicit marriage, but also his other ungodly activities and behavior. And with regards to his marriage, Herod was married uh, to the daughter of the king of Arabia. And it was some time they were married, but after a while, Herod took a trip to Rome and stayed with his half-brother Philip for a while. Well, while he was in Rome, he fell in love with Philip's wife, who was Herodias. And they got married. Well, Herod's first wife got word of this, and she fled and told her father what had happened about the situation. And the reaction, of course, is typical of any father. What do you want to do? You want to attack the guy that hurt your daughter. Well, it just so happens that the father was the king of Arabia. So he sent his army and declared war against Herod. Well, Rome uh, got word of this then, and Rome didn't want wars between different nations like this, so Rome steps into the picture and calms the situation and fails Herod out of the mess. As I mentioned, the Marriage, of course, was illegal, technically, and illicit. Illegal because Herod was already married, uh, as was Herodias, even though technically she kind of got a divorce. But it was illicit because Herodias was actually his half-niece, so they were technically even related. And this is what John the Baptist spoke out against. He says, you can't do this. This is not right. Now, Herod enjoyed listening to John. He enjoyed listening to him preach. He enjoyed listening to him teach. But, you can say anything you want, but you just can't speak that about me or my family relationships. So, Herod had John arrested and put into prison. Herod's wife, of course, wanted John dead. So, no no doubt this was part of Herod's plan. You know, if John was going around the different towns uh, uh, preaching and teaching, Herod probably couldn't protect John very much. But Herod could protect John if he was in his prison. So he has John arrested, not only because he was saying some, some bad stuff about Herod and his wife, but more importantly, Herod realized what kind of man John was. He was a righteous man. And so he had him arrested to really be protected from Herodias, Herod's wife. But a while later, Herod uh, had a birthday coming up and he threw himself a birthday party. And part of the entertainment featured a very special dance by his stepdaughter. And Herod was extremely impressed, if you will, 
by the dance that he offers up to half of his kingdom to the girl for her performance. Now, I'm sure this was no nice little dance like you would go and see a niece or a nephew or you know, a granddaughter performing in a, a little ballet. This was no doubt more of an adult-type uh, dance. But anyways, Herod was impressed, so he tells the girl, whatever you want, up to half of my kingdom. Well, Herod didn't really have a kingdom. It was, Rome gave it to him, and Rome took it away from him later on. But he offered up to half of his kingdom. So the girl thinks about it, and he's urged, she's urged on by her mother to ask for the head of John the Baptist. Herod agreed and had John's head brought to the girl on a platter as requested. But Herod felt bad. He didn't want to do it, but he had to save face in front of his guests, so he gave the order to have John executed. No doubt his conscience was saying, hey, don't do this. John's a good man. He didn't do anything wrong. But once again, we see Herod's power, or his desire for power, calm and quiet and override his conscience. And what a sad story that is. But surprisingly and sadly, it typifies people even today as they make wrong choices in their life. Herod had John the Baptist killed. And that plagued him personally and publicly. His conscience made him believe that Jesus was empowered by the spirit of John. And of course the public was outraged that a righteous man was killed for nothing. And looking at his actions, Herod's actions, and his marriage to Herodias, it ruined not only his marriage, but his brother's marriage as well. And it brought warfare from another country and forced Rome to get in, involved and to settle the conflict. And that kind of uh, also typified Herod's reign of power. He continued to screw up. And eventually, Rome stripped him of his power and banished him and his wife from the country. And it is indeed a sad story. But as I said, the saddest part is the fact that it still happens today. People are so focused and concerned with money or with political power that they're willing to shut down their conscience and focus on their greeds, focus on their lusts, focus on their desires. This is nothing new. We see it here in the Gospel of Mark. But we see it even in the Old Testament. And any time I think of conscience, I think of a couple great examples from the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel uh, chapter 24, verse 10, we see uh, this portion of Scripture occurs right after David uh, takes, a, takes a census uh, out of his own pride. He wants to number his people and, and, and figure out how many people he has in his kingdom, in his nation, rather than listening and trusting and obeying God. And here's what, here's what David says. 
And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. David sinned against God, and his conscience convicted him of it. He knew it. There was no escaping it. The only thing that he could do to ease his conscience was to confess his sin and repent of it. David, as we know, was indeed a servant of God. He messed up quite a bit, that's for sure. As you look back at the life of David, he made some mistakes. But he always came back to God, deeply sorrowful for the things that he had done. Not just because maybe he got caught or maybe because his actions didn't work out right and he thought, oh, I better go back to God so he can straighten things out again. No, it wasn't that mindset. His conscience convicted him of his wrongs, of his sins. And he was very sorrowful for them. And he confessed it to God out of deep sorrow. The other story that I think about from the Old Testament, uh, whenever someone mentions the, the term or the word conscience, is the story of Joseph. And I'm sure you're all familiar with that story as well. You know, his brothers were jealous of him, and they kind of took him out and roughed him up a little bit and, and left him for dead. But then they decided to, hey, why leave him for dead? Maybe we can sell him and make some money. So they sold him into slavery. Years later, there's a, a massive drought and famine going on. And in Genesis uh, chapter 42, the brothers said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. This is after, um, you know, there's a famine, and they go back to get some food from, from Joseph, but they don't know it's Joseph. And Joseph is asking him, you know, about the rest of the family. And he brings up, well, don't you have any more brothers? And they said, yes, there was one, but he is no more. You know, they thought he was, he was gone, he was dead. The brothers knew what they did, like David. Their conscience convicted them of their sins. And they knew that they would be punished for it, or they were being punished for it. And it, like all sin, needed to be confessed and repented of. The same thing occurs with us today. We, too, need to listen to our consciences. conscience. That little voice inside your head is there for a reason. God created it, God designed it, and he put it there to use for a specific purpose, for his purpose. Our conscience is our internal warning system. It allows us to think about our motives, to think about our actions, to tell us right from wrong. But of course, for it to work properly, we have to tell our conscience, we have to train our conscience 
We have to fill it with the Word of God, which will give us the absolute right and truth. And it will convict us of our sins. But we need to train it. We need to fill it with the Word of God so we know right from wrong. And when our conscience tells us, hey, this may not be right, we can't ignore it, but we can embrace it and repent of our wrongs. Kind of sounds like, oh boy, conscience doesn't sound like a very fun thing, does it? Well, not if you're doing wrong, that's for sure. But our conscience isn't all bad. It's not all about bad stuff. Yes, it does indeed convict us of our sins and our wrongs. But it should also affirm in us that we're believers. If you look back at the story of Job, it does that for him. It did it for Paul. It did it for Peter. And it will do that for you as well. Yes, it will convict us of our sins, but it will also tell us and affirm in us that we're believers. Remember that only the blood of Christ can purify us, who offered himself without spot to God for our sins. Only he can cleanse us to serve the living God. And knowing this, we should walk obediently with Christ. And that is when our conscience will affirm to us that we are believers in the true and living God. There's no doubt about it. Living in this world can indeed be a challenge today. It's a challenge for the youngest of people to the oldest of people. There are so many different distractions in this world and there's so many different things that will draw us away from a godly life. But we are to conduct ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. And what does your conscience say? Do you listen to it? Are you obeying it? Think about that this week. And pay attention to your conscience and seek to glorify God with your actions. Our conscience has been developed over the years, hopefully from the early years of your life by your parents and other influential people, authority figures in your life, who as becoming a young adult, making decisions on your own, but also suffering the consequences of those actions, your conscience is shaped. And the best way to do that is through the Word of God. Reading it, studying it, and applying it in your lives. Think about that this week. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for our time in Your Word this morning. We thank You for the lessons that we have learned and we have received. We thank You for faithful men like David, Job, Peter, and Paul. Help us to live out our faith and walk in this world as these men did. We thank you for our conscience. We ask you to send your spirit to purify it and make clear to us what is right and what is wrong. Give us the strength to do what is right and honorable 
and glorifying to you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray and give thanks. Amen.